They say there is an app for that. And the longer we go, the more apps there are for your Android or your iPhone that can do virtually anything. Even, it appears, provide for you an invisible boyfriend or an invisible girlfriend, if that's what you need. The app is called Invisible Boyfriend. It automatically generates texts, sends you photos, will even leave voicemails on your phone from the Invisible Boyfriend. The app promises, quote, to give you believable social proof that you have a real-life boyfriend or girlfriend. So, if your mom, for example, is constantly hounding you, why don't you ever go out on dates? You're never going to get married. I'm never going to have grandkids. When are you going to fall in love? Invisible boyfriend might be for you um, to prove to her that you have, in fact, found your soulmate. Imagine you're at, at lunch at the parents' house, for example. Your phone chimes or beeps or tweets at you, and you can say, oh, check out what James, Invisible Boyfriend, just sent me. Um, so I guess that is there, and, and if that's something you need, go for it. It kind of made me laugh this week and kind of made me think about, about really what we've been talking about over the past few weeks in the Love Series, which is, you know, when you get past our basic essential physical needs, you know, to eat and to have shelter and to feel safe, the deep need of the human heart is, 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 is to be loved and to love. We're not just talking about romantic love, but to be in a relationship, to be in community, to live in connection with other people, um, or to find, yeah, the love of your life, or at least fool your mom into thinking you found the love of your life, I guess. On a more serious note, though, I wonder, I wonder how many people kind of settle for that. I mean, maybe not just the app, right? But, but settle for versions of love that really aren't genuine or illusions of, of love and companionship. Now, to be clear, we're not just talking about romance. We're talking about this deep need that we all have to live in connection with each other, not just how's the weather, uh, did you see the Rangers game last night, but really know what's going on in someone else's life and for them to know, really know what's going on in our life. John 4, Jesus comes across this, this, this woman who has been living in, I think you could say, a world of illusions. The illusion of love. The illusion of relationship. And for years and years... She's had this kind of gut-level feeling of emptiness, um, this hurt that has gone with chasing those shadows, chasing those illusions. And Jesus and this woman met in a location that has incredible historical significance for the nation of Israel. Long before Jesus and the woman met at this well, it was a significant, significant place. Some time thousands of years 3,000 years ago or so outside of the town of Shechem a man began digging we may not be able to identify well with it in Dallas these days but there are places that really 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 need water and this is a dry crusty soil 
And there is no way to live there. There's no way for him to to raise his children there, to farm there, to provide for the livestock there, unless he finds water. So he begins digging. He breaks through the surface level of soil, very quickly hits probably a limestone layer, and the work becomes very slow and very hard, almost impossible. But day after day, he continues to get up, and he continues going a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper into that soil. At some point, after weeks and weeks of digging, he gets on his ladder and he climbs 100, 120 feet below the surface. And he continues digging. And on this day, I imagine the emotions that ran through his heart as finally that soil begins to get a little bit damp. There's moisture down there. And when he continues to dig... Soon after discovering the moisture, water begins to to spring up. Cold, clear, life-giving water in the middle of that desert land. Mayim, water. He must have shouted that as finally he found life-giving water. And historically then, from that point forward, for generations and generations of Israelites, there would be water at this place known as Jacob's Well. But over time, Jacob's Well became surrounded by, let's say, a bad neighborhood, all right? A Samaritan neighborhood. And so the Jews who didn't get on well with the Samaritans, to put it mildly, the Jews began shunning, avoiding that particular neighborhood and not visiting that well all too often until the day Jesus rolled through Samaria. And as John 4 opens up, Jesus and his disciples are making a trek from Judea, the the area around Jerusalem, up toward Galilee where most of them are from and where much of Jesus' ministry is going to happen. And John tells us in verse 4 of chapter 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and there he meets her. Now the Cliff Notes version of this story goes like this. Yes, she is this woman who encounters Jesus, who had encountered lesser loves, illusions of love, who was broken, who was hungry for connection. Jesus has a simple conversation with her that begins with, hey, could you get me a cup of water? And this simple conversation goes deeper and deeper. By the end, she has found living water. She has found what her heart was always looking for. She has a new, fresh relationship with God, a new relationship with the village that she lives in, and new hope for the future and becomes, really by the end of the story, she becomes a powerful missionary sharing Christ with her neighbor, her neighbors back in town. And so many of them come, uh, come, come out to meet Jesus and come to faith in Jesus because of her and because of her witness. But for this to ever happen, there were so many roadblocks that Jesus had to overcome. For this to ever happen, so many barriers that Jesus had to crash through. So write this down on the outline this morning. The very first thing there. Jesus had every reason in the world not to talk to her. But he overcame those barriers to share God's love. 
Jesus and his disciples are tired from their journey. The disciples go on into town to look for provisions. Jesus, tired and thirsty, stays out there by the well. And she approaches in the heat of the day, the noonday sun. She comes all alone. And then there is the hook, the conversation starter that Jesus puts out there. Could you get me something to drink? Eventually, he offers her living water and her life is changed, and the village is changed. But again, none of that happens unless he's willing to break through these roadblocks, unless he's willing to confront these barriers, and he's willing to love with a love beyond limits. The Lord reached her by encountering a number of obstacles and not being stopped by those. The very first one, I guess you could say, is neighborhood. You can write that down there on those roadblocks that Jesus overcame. He overcame the barrier of, of neighborhood. She's from the wrong neighborhood. This is the wrong neighborhood. Um, at least for Jewish people, Samaria is the wrong side of the tracks. The wrong neighbor. You just, you just don't go there. So neighborhood. John tells us once again, verses 3 and 4, he says, So he, Jesus, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He just had to. Most Bible scholars with their salt over the years have said, when they've read this verse, they've said, Huh? He really didn't have to. I mean, logistically, if you're getting on MapQuest, for a Jew at least, Jewish MapQuest does not send you through Samaria. You're going to go up the Transjordan Valley, you're going to skirt around it, avoid that undesirable area, and get on up to Galilee. Might take a little longer, but a lot more um, safe and clean, the journey that avoids Samaria. And John writes that Jesus had to go through Samaria... That'd be kind of like me telling you, hey, I'm going to Austin after service this morning. I'll hop in my car. Of course, I'll have to go through Fort Worth on the way. And you're like, Fort Worth? You might not say anything, but you might think that's kind of weird. You really don't have to go through Fort Worth on the way to Austin. Just go over to 35E. Head right on down to Austin. Jesus didn't logistically have to go through Samaria, right? Didn't have to have a layer over for a few days in Samaria. Going to hang out there a few days. But he did. And maybe he had to go through Samaria because maybe Jesus had to meet her. And maybe he had to go through Samaria because he knew in a few years when my disciples are reaching out and sharing the good news, my disciples need to see that we have to go to the wrong neighborhood. A lot of times, share the good news. And my disciples don't need to be afraid to go to Samaria or fill in the blank. They need to go there because God loves all of these people. Interestingly, a lot of Christians, um, I think it's just a fact, I'm not trying to step on any toes, I think it's just a lot of Christians are very enthusiastic about taking the gospel to, to Russia or taking the gospel to India, or to the Philippines, or wherever, you name it. Yeah, let's cross the sea. Let's take the gospel, but they're not so enthusiastic about crossing the street. 
to take the gospel to that neighborhood that's in town that they avoid. You see, we, we're friends with people in certain neighborhoods. We go out to eat, watch a movie in certain neighborhoods, and there are other neighborhoods that we don't go to. And it's interesting how Christians will cross the sea, but they won't cross the street. Well, Jesus was willing to cross the street into Samaria to share the love of God. And he had to overcome this roadblock of neighborhood. He also had to overcome, come associated with that, this culture block, this culture barrier that was in the way as well. Even the woman is shocked that Jesus is kind of just stepping right over this culture barrier. So write this one down, culture. I mean, that's a big barrier. Um, gets in the way of a lot of folks. Stops them from sharing their faith or only sharing their group with this group or this group, but not sharing their, their faith with this other culture when God loves everybody regardless of, of their culture. So most folks don't cross cultures, but the cross does. The cross goes to all cultures. So culture. Check out the woman's observation here in verse 9. <laughs> it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman, so why are you asking me for a drink? Essentially, she's kind of pointing out the obvious, the, the kind of math problem here. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. There's no way that turns into a conversation. I mean, that's not supposed to, that doesn't compute. And so how many times when we do as believers and we do as Christians, we do go to that other neighborhood or that other part of town. How many times do we go there and it's kind of a mission hit and run effort? Okay. We're going to drop off uh, food. God bless you. And then we're out of there, you know. We're going to paint a house or fix a fence or mow somebody's yard. And then, boo, we're gone. How many times does that happen? Those aren't bad things. It's good to do those things. Good to, good to help people, give them what they need. But notice how Jesus, he doesn't, um, he doesn't just run out of there, drop a truth grenade and run. He doesn't just say... Uh, from the beginning, hey, by the way, I'm the son of God. I have what you need. You are the poor, pitiful person. I am God in the flesh. Now, let me give you what you need. That's not his approach at all. Um, by the way, he is the son of God. He does have exactly what she needs, but that is not his approach in this story, is it? He'll get to that. But notice how he engages her by asking for her help who's doing ministry in this min in this mission project he's asking her to do the ministry he tells her he needs her help and that may sound kind of weird you know but some of the greatest roadblock destroying wall tearing down ministry happens when disciples of Jesus invite those who aren't disciples of Jesus, to help them. To be either 
partners in this work that they're doing or to, to do them a favor, really, simple favor. How many walls does that knock down when you affirm the dignity and value of the other person, when you affirm that they're basically a good person that has something to offer, talents and gifts or whatever, and you invite them to help out? I think of a guy named Edson in Rio. We were working in Edson. The church was, was fairly new and fairly young there. And Edson knew a couple of people at the church. He was, he was a middle-aged uh, truck driver there in Rio, didn't have a church background, didn't have a lot of interest in Christianity at that time, but was curious about what his friends were doing at this church. So he kind of showed up. It was kind of awkward. He was really self-conscious that he didn't exactly fit in. He wasn't a believer, didn't believe all the same stuff we did. Kind of self-conscious too because he was a chain smoker and nobody else was a chain smoker. So he's constantly taking smoke breaks and stuff and he feels real, just stuff that he feels weird about. Doesn't feel like he fits in. But he came and what happened was amazing because... The, the young believers there in Rio, they weren't like wagging their fingers at him, telling him everything that was wrong with his life, and, and you've got to come to Jesus or else. That wasn't what they did. What they did was say, hey, we've got a project out here in the slums helping kids. We go out there every month. Why don't you come and join us? And he's like, Sure. What they did was say, hey, we've got a plumbing plot problem. The sink in the kitchen hadn't been working for weeks. We know you're pretty handy. Would you bring your tools tomorrow and fix the sink? And he's like, sure, fix the sink. They were constantly inviting him to help us out. And the barriers began to fall. And he began to experience the Christian community and the reality of Christ, and eventually he did start asking questions about Jesus, did start asking questions about what we believe, and he became a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. And I think we've got a picture of him there with Jefferson, who's, who was also converted there and is now the preacher in Rio, and there's uh, Edson on the right. And it was, it was just a really cool day to see how those kind of chasms were bridged by inviting him to help. A simple question, Jesus asked the woman at the well, hey, could you get me a cup of water? And that's essentially what happened with Edson and the well. Could you help us out? Jesus was thirsty. But could Jesus have taken care of that thirst issue without her help? I mean, we've seen the guy raise the dead, walk on water, heal all sorts of diseases, say a prayer, five loaves and two fish turn into enough to feed thousands and thousands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he could, he, he could have taken care of his water situation without her help. But he honored her and broke down some of this cultural divide by saying, would you mind getting me a cup of water? And then there's the roadblock of <laughs> her sinful lifestyle. We're all sinners. It's just that everyone in her town knew all about her sinning, okay? She was well known. And this is how this goes in verses 16 to 18. Jesus says to her, hey, why don't you go, uh, go back to town and get your husband, bring him out here? And she said, I don't have a husband. <laughs> Jesus said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Ouch! 
You certainly spoke the truth. Was she a sinner? Yes. More like a walking train wreck, a relational train wreck. She is known in her town. Everybody knows she does not live a moral lifestyle. And these are Samaritans. Doesn't even meet their standards. Um, there's, a, there's a reason somebody like her goes to the well by herself in the middle of the noonday heat when all the other ladies went out chatting about things going on in their lives in the cool of the morning. There's a woman, she ha there's a reason she has to go around alone. No one wants to hang out with her. And yeah, we're all sinners. All of us. Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what he said. So we, each one of us, we struggle with sin. It may not be the same sin or sins, but some of us struggle with lust. Or greed. Some have a gossip problem. Some don't know how to handle their anger. Some of us have a problem exaggerating things, deceiving, not exactly telling the truth. Um, some of us have pride issues, whatever. We are all sinners. We all have signature sins that we struggle with. Hers just happen to be known by everybody. Sexual immorality. And so, yeah, the conversation gets a little bit awkward when Jesus begins listing kind of her sexual history. And she's like, whoa, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, that loneliness and that pain and that hurt that she's been trying to address with a revolving door of men, a revolving door of relationships, and it's not working. If husband number one number two, number three didn't work. Husband number four and number five ain't going to work either. And now she's just shacked up. Shacked up some guy in town. So Jesus knows she's a sinner. He knows you're a sinner. He knows I'm a sinner. And he knows that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He knows that God loves sinners. God loves her. And he didn't let the fact that her life was a mess stop him from having a conversation and sharing God's love with her. Now, as you might expect, she does get a little uncomfortable when Jesus begins sharing all about her private life. And so she did what most people do when a conversation gets awkward. She changed the subject. Let's talk about religion. Discuss. You Jewish people believe that the only right place to worship God is in Jerusalem on Mount Zion where the temple is. My people, the Samaritans, believe that the right place to worship is here on Mount Gerizim. We've believed this for centuries. It's unresolvable. It's kind of like the Israeli-Palestinian thing today. It's hard to see how this is ever going to get worked out. So let's discuss that. She changes the subject, right? So write this one down. A barrier that can stand in the way of sharing the gospel can be religion can be religion here's how it works out in this story verse 20 she says so Jesus why is it that uh, 
that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship. We Sumerians, Samaritans claim this Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. And then starting in verse 21, Jesus basically says, this is my paraphrase, by the way. He basically says, you know what? It doesn't matter. Geographical location doesn't really matter all that much. And he begins talking about, you know what God is really after? Our hearts. People who seek Him with the, with the Spirit. Seek Him in truth. That's what God's really after. Not the address of your church or where you meet on, on the Sabbath day or whatever. Jesus basically says God's not too concerned about that. And so He kind of moves past that religion barrier that was pretty significant and moves to confront an even more significant barrier in those days. This one's not quite as significant today, but back then it was a biggie, and it was the gender barrier. Because in public, in public, men did not speak to women they didn't know. Now, it may still be like that. I don't know what it's like in Saudi Arabia and places like that, but it may still be kind of like that. You just don't talk to a member of the opposite sex who you don't know. And Jesus marches right through that barrier. And yeah, his disciples are pretty shocked when they come back with their Kroger bags from town, the supplies, and there he is talking to a woman. What? So write down gender, the gender barrier. And here's their reaction in verses 27 and 28. Just then, so they're having this conversation. Just then the disciples came back. They were what? Shocked. (gasps) They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? So why does Jesus break all the rules here? Why does Jesus break all the rules and spend time talking to her? Because he loved her, because he cared about her. He knew his father loved her, and he knew all about her pain and her shame, and he knew all about the new beginning that she could have with him, and he knew all about the potential that that was in store for her life. Once God's power was released in her, he, Jesus, was on a mission, a mission to share God's love with all people, especially people like her. Especially people living on the margins. People feeling beat down. People feeling like mess-ups. Jesus loved to interact with those kinds of people. And there are, to be sure, a lot of different methods for sharing the gospel, for sharing your faith, for evangelism. There are a lot of different ways to do that. The methods are constantly changing. The message does not change, right? The gospel doesn't change. The methods are in constant flux. I remember when I was dating Isla in graduate school and she wasn't a believer. She wasn't a Christian. I started bringing her to my, my, my wife is Isla, by the way. Started bringing her a little small group Bible study, just in case you're wondering. Started bringing her a little small group Bible study. And, and yeah, I wanted to see her come to faith in Christ, but I didn't want to be the person where we kind of get all mixed up. Like I'm her boyfriend and I'm, and I'm evangelizing her. So, so I got her engaged with a couple there at church in, in, in Norman, Oklahoma. And, they, and we four sat down and started. And guess how she came to faith in Jesus? She came to faith in Jesus through, some of you will know what this is, some of you won't. 
Um, she came to faith in Jesus through the Jewel Miller film strips. Which is basically this little Bible study about Jesus, and there are these pictures of this kind of imaginary family in the film strip, and they're all wearing pajamas, and they're sitting on a couch hearing about Jesus. And it looks really outdated, and really kind of is outdated now. But a lot of people came to know Jesus through that, and my wife is one of them. Methods are changing all the time. Praise God for that. The message doesn't change. I remember when I was a kid in our hometown church, a lot of you will resonate with this. We had gospel meetings in the Osho, Missouri. Gospel meetings. And we'd invite some, some big-name, powerful preacher to come in and spend an entire week preaching these, as a kid, I'm thinking, this is my perspective, really long sermons. I mean, oh, my goodness. Monday night, Tuesday night, got to go back Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. My dad was an elder at the church, so we had to be there. And you know what? People responded, man. We'd sing Just As I Am, oh, 15 times. And people started, there were baptisms, there were people confessing all sorts of sins and coming back to the Lord. And really, it worked. And then it stopped working. Fewer and fewer people came. The gospel didn't start working, that method did stop working. Fewer and fewer people came. Then instead of having it five nights a week, we had it four nights, three nights, two nights. Now we kept doing it long after it stopped working because that's what churches tend to do, but it stopped working. And that's okay. The methods change. The message of the gospel doesn't. What doesn't change is loving without limits. That doesn't change. Loving without limits and sharing Christ so Jesus, in his patience and his understanding, he shows us what it looks like to love without limits. Timeless method of sharing the gospel. And then Paul kind of picks up on this and kind of fleshes it out for us as he talks to his friends in Colossia. He shares in chapter 4 of Colossians, verses 2 to 6. This is one of my favorite evangelistic passages. It might be my favorite evangelistic passages. He tells them... Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, I'm just stopping there. So when you're praying, keep your eyes open. Believe, when you pray, believe that God's actually going to do something. So be alert. Be alert to see what He's going to do and be thankful. Don't be a critic. Don't be a complainer. Pray with open eyes and an open heart, thankful for all that God has done for you. Verse 3, pray for us too, he says as a missionary. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message, the gospel, as clearly as I should. And then check this out. For all of us, he says in verse 5, hey guys, he says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Opportunities, alertness, 
gentleness, attractiveness, speaking to different people in different situations in different ways, and loving them and sharing Christ with them. Jesus was willing to step into some really bad neighborhoods. I'd say moving from heaven to earth constitutes his first stepping into a bad... This is not a good neighborhood if you haven't watched the news. Not a good neighborhood, planet earth, right now. And it wasn't back then either. But then he went to the, the neighborhoods that the other members of God's chosen elect avoided. He stepped into these places that others found too uncomfortable, too inconvenient. And the question becomes, will I do that? Will we do that? Will we follow Him beyond our comfort zone so that the gospel can be shared? Write this one down. The the key question, breaking free from my comfort zone to join Him. Write this question down. Will I follow Jesus into uncomfortable places so that I can share God's love in message and ministry with those living on the margins? Put in another way, I guess you could say, is John 4 a beautiful Bible story? Or is John 4 our story? Will it be the Preston Crest story? Will we join the Lord in places and with people that make us uncomfortable, will his story be our story? Will we join him in his ministry? And by the way, i got to say this to finish out. I'm just exhilarated. I'm thrilled. Things are popping up all the time. I'm hearing about things, most of it going on below the radar. But I'm hearing about all these ways that God is reaching out into this city through this church. And I'm not going to go into all of that right now. But just to let you know, it's really cool when you see your brothers and sisters here at Preston Crest crossing the line into Samaria and spending time there and making friends there. Exponential growth is happening in our mission work here in Dallas. And I'm thankful for Gary Cohorn, the leadership he provides, and others who are really taking this on to get out into our community and outside of our comfort zone and share the love of Christ. It's exciting to see. Last week, if you were here at this service, you saw some evidence of that, didn't you? When Colleen Zhao gave her life to Christ, was baptized here. I mean, think about the roadblocks involved in her. Taiwanese, had never lived in the U.S., leaves her family, leaves her culture, leaves her language, comes to Dallas, Texas to do grad school. And people here didn't let any of those cultural language barriers get in the way. They started loving on Colleen. Culminated in her baptism, her giving her life to Christ last Sunday. And considering, as she said in her confession of faith last week, this is her family. Man, way to go, God. Way to go, God. All of the roadblocks that are falling. I praise God for that. So, if we'll open our eyes, as we close out today, if we'll just open our eyes and be alert, um, God is constantly inviting us to join Him out in our city. Out in our city. And maybe that's exactly what Jesus is inviting you to do today, is to leave your comfort zone and to begin sharing your faith with thirsty souls 
on the other side of the street. Or maybe this morning you find yourself in a situation more like the situation of the, the woman at the well. You are tired. You are broken. You are well aware of your sins. And you want to give your life to Jesus this morning. Be baptized into Jesus. And begin a new relationship with Him, with a new family. And we would invite you, however you need to respond this morning, to do that as we stand together, we worship and pray together.